All right, welcome to the Medicine Podcast. This is Dr. Christopher Hernandez, your host. I've been a little negligent in producing content for the podcast lately, which we'll just blame on the holidays. So today I'm going to go ahead and put out a quick episode on nail findings. Not every episode has to be half an hour long, after all. Today we'll just discuss a few different interesting clinical exam findings involving the nails and what diseases they may suggest, and that's it. All right, let's go. Okay, here we go. The first finding we're going to discuss is Coilonychia, and it's partly the inspiration for this episode because I'm pretty sure I was pimped about this specifically by an attending when I was an intern. He asked me what nail findings can be seen in iron deficiency anemia, and I wasn't sure what he was talking about. The answer is Coilonychia, spelled K-O-I-L-O-N-Y-C-H-I-A, also known as spoon nails. Spoon nails essentially describes how these nails appear. Instead of being convex like normal nails, they're flattened out and even become somewhat concave, such that they would hold a drop of water in them if the patient's hands are held still. The patient's nails may not be quite that scooped out, but they're generally thinner than usual and visibly flattened at least. This finding is classically associated with iron deficiency anemia, but because screening for and treating anemia is so commonplace now, this clinical finding is rarely seen anymore. But I imagine it was pretty common as recently as 50 or 100 years ago. That's one of the frustrating things about contemporary medicine. We've gotten so good at treating a lot of conditions that we don't get to see as much pathology. But that's a good problem to have, I suppose. The finding is also associated with lichen planus, syphilis, and rheumatic fever, but it's hard to remember that whole list. The association with iron deficiency anemia is the main thing to remember. Okay, the second nail finding we'll discuss is sort of the opposite of the first, clubbing regarded as the oldest clinical sign in medicine because it was described by Hippocrates 2,500 years ago in a patient with empyema. Nail clubbing is in fact quite common, I've seen it many, many times, and it is associated with many things, but primarily in my mind with COPD and other pulmonary disease. How to define it is a little difficult, but basically you can think of it as loss of the angle formed between the top of the finger and the top of the nail. Another way to describe this is as a, quote, focal bulbous enlargement of the terminal segments of the fingers and or toes. Such fingers have also been called drumstick fingers and Hippocratic fingers. In fact, there's a fair amount of trivia to know about clubbing. First, it turns out that the angle between the finger and nail is known as the Lovibond angle. It's normally less than 165 degrees, but in moderate to severe clubbing, it's often greater than 180 degrees. Google a picture of the Lovibond angle to see what I mean. The test for clubbing that I've been taught is the Shamroth test, which is apparently named after a South African cardiologist named Leo Shamroth. To do this test, the patient takes the same finger in each hand and places their nails together facing each other, 
Normally, this yields a small diamond-shaped window between the nail beds. In the presence of clubbing, however, this window is obliterated. Of course, when obvious clubbing is present, you can see it from a mile away, and there's no need for these tests. But knowing the tests helps you understand what clubbing is. Its usefulness as a clinical sign is somewhat dubious only because it can be seen in so many conditions, including any condition at all that causes chronic hypoxia. So obviously that's not going to be just COPD and other pulmonary diseases like interstitial lung disease and lung cancer and sarcoidosis, but also many cardiac conditions, especially congenital cyanotic heart disease. And in addition to these, some GI pathology is also associated with clubbing, such as inflammatory bowel disease, cirrhosis, malabsorption. So it mostly just serves to confirm that the patient has one of these serious diagnoses, and if you see it in the absence of such a diagnosis, it may prompt you to take a careful history and even work up the patient a bit, because you may well find something. Lastly, you may have heard the term hypertrophic osteoarthropathy, I won't get into it, but the term basically refers to the combination of clubbing and periostitis, or inflammation of the periosteum and the small joints of the hand. And typically, when you see clubbing, what you're looking at is a patient with hypertrophic osteoarthropathy. Okay, let's move on to our next nail condition. Let's talk about nail pitting. This one's pretty simple. The key association here is with psoriasis, and the diagnosis is pretty easy to make because it literally just looks like the patient's nails have tiny little holes drilled into them by a tiny woodpecker, or as the textbooks more often put it, by an ice pick. It can also be seen in other conditions like alopecia areata and reactive arthritis, but psoriasis is definitely the key association to remember with nail pitting. So let's leave it at that. The next nail finding is called Terry's nails. This is when the nail appears almost entirely white, with the exception of a narrow band of color at the tip of the nail, which often appears as a pinkish or brownish arc. This is another fairly non-specific finding, often seen in failure, that is, in liver failure, or heart failure, or kidney failure. The next finding is Bowes lines, or transverse grooves. These are deep indentations, or grooves, or ridges that run horizontally across the nail plate. They're named after a 19th century French physician, Joseph Honoré Simon Beau, who first described them in 1846. They're believed to be caused by a temporary cessation in the growth of the nail, which is in turn caused by some sort of physiologic insult, whether that's mechanical trauma from a manicure or a pedicure or from ill-fitting footwear, or it's trauma from a systemic insult such as high fever from an infection, or maybe an insult due to chemotherapy, or any number of things can do it. These Bose lines have even been observed in deep sea divers after deep dives at high pressures, so that's kind of interesting. These transverse grooves move out as the nail grows out, and you can tell how old they are by how far along the nail they are, growing out at approximately one millimeter per month. So that's Bose lines. All right, let's just do one more. Let's talk about yellow nail syndrome. This is an extremely rare disease, first described in 1964. There are only 100 or maybe 200 cases in the entire medical literature. It typically occurs in older adults and consists of the triad of yellow nails, 
pulmonary manifestations such as chronic cough or pleural effusion, and lower limb lymphedema. Thus, its other name, primary lymphedema, associated with yellow nails and pleural effusion. A very nice, very literal name, that. Anyway, in this condition, the patient's nails are very thick and are literally yellow or even yellow-green. They may feature other dystrophic changes such as ridges, increased side-to-side -side curvature, or even nail detachment. The nails grow slowly. The lunula, which is the Latin name for the white crescent normally seen at the base of the nail, may be reduced in size. Basically, these patients have awful, awful nails. They also generally have lymphedema affecting both legs, and any of a variety of lung problems as alluded to already, cough, shortness of breath, pleural effusions, recurrent thoracic infections, bronchiectasis, chronic sinusitis is also associated with this condition. I'll be honest, this is a rare and probably fairly low yield condition, but it is memorable, yellow nail syndrome, maybe you'll see it one day. Okay, let's go back to the lunula for a second because it's a nice bit of trivia. First of all, it's a pretty word and means little moon in Latin. More importantly, it is the visible part of the root of the nail. If your nail falls off, your lunula will still be there, looking like a tiny little fingernail in its own right. Or at least it had better be there because without it, you're in trouble. The lunula isn't always visible, but it is usually most visible in the thumb. I actually don't see it in any of my other fingers, but I can just catch a glimpse of my lunulae, which is the plural form of lunula, right at the base of each of my thumbnails. I never even noticed them in myself before preparing this episode. I can see the right better than the left because on my left side, the epinicium, which is the medical term for the cuticle, is a little further advanced. So there's some fancy terminology for you. Don't say cuticle, say epinicium, which comes from the Greek and means on top of, epi, the little claw, nicium. And don't say white crescent, say lunula, which comes from Latin. All right, that's it. See, I'm capable of producing shorter episodes, and we still managed to cover a fair amount of material. I'd say we mostly focused on coilinicia, nail clubbing, and nail pitting, but we then briefly mentioned a few other nail-related exam findings, namely Terry's nails, Bow's lines, and yellow nail syndrome. Remember that coilinicia refers to so-called spoon nails and is classically associated with iron deficiency anemia, though it's now more often seen as an occupational and probably idiopathic change in nails. Remember that clubbing is seen in many conditions that cause hypoxia, most famously pulmonary disorders like COPD and cardiac disorders like congenital cyanotic disease, but it's also seen in GI conditions like cirrhosis and inflammatory bowel. And remember that nail pitting is associated with psoriasis. There are plenty of additional nail-related topics we could discuss, such as paronychia, or infection of the tissue adjacent to the nail, and how this can eventually lead to chromonychia, or green nail syndrome. Then there's trachonychia, the syndrome of rough linear ridges that often begins in childhood and is also known as 20-nail dystrophy. And there's leukonychia, that benign whitening of the nail that you've probably seen yourself and results from direct mechanical injury to the nail matrix. And of course, splinter hemorrhages as seen in bacterial endocarditis, but also psoriasis or trauma. 
and then there's onychogryphosis or ram's horn nail the long thickened nail sometimes seen in older neglected adults which i've seen plenty of times and then there's half and half nails and retronychia and so on and so forth but i think we covered some of the more essential stuff at least so hopefully you got a pearl or two out of it that you can remember and apply in your clinical practice all right that's a wrap as always, please feel free to email me with questions, feedback, or comments at themedicinepodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please do leave a rating or a review, or better yet, send a link to the podcast to a friend. All right then, see you next time.